This episode of YXE Underground is supported by Rob Romvi and his team at Romvi Wealth Management Group of RBC Dominion Securities in North Battleford. If you need someone to care for and invest your money, there is no better group of people than Rob Romvi and his team. Thank you for your support, Rob. Oh my gosh, the Friendship Inn has this energy to it that I, I've been here almost two years and I don't know what it is, but it's just here. It's the building, it's the people, it's the working group. It's just, that's my favorite part, coming into work and being like, hey, let's feed all these people. And we do it, we pull it off every time. I don't know how. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Jenna Gall. She is one of the many voices you'll hear as we visit the Friendship Inn in season four, episode eight of YXC Underground. Knowing where your next hot meal is coming from is a luxury most of us take for granted, but there are people in our community from all backgrounds who struggle to find their next breakfast or lunch. The Friendship Inn has spent the past 50 years helping vulnerable people in our community struggling with food security get the supports they need. And there was no way the organization was going to let the pandemic get in the way of their mission. We take you inside the Friendship Inn here on YXE Underground. It's a few minutes after 8 o'clock on a sunny Thursday morning in late March and the dining hall of the Friendship Inn is busy. People who are lined up outside the building are let in and find a table to sit down at. Within seconds, a staff member or volunteer arrives at the table holding a tray full of food. They say good morning to the guest, engage in a bit of conversation and present them with breakfast. On this morning, it's a hash brown casserole with a side of fruit along with coffee, tea or water. The meal is free. This scene plays out every morning from 8 to 9.30 and again from 11.30 to 1.30 every day for lunch, 365 days a year. The Friendship Inn is playing a vital role in tackling the challenge of food security in Saskatoon and is doing so with compassion and kindness. And a lot of creativity. Welcome to the Friendship Inn's kitchen. One of the many unique aspects of the Friendship Inn is how it receives its food. It utilizes primarily donated food resources, which makes meal planning quite a challenge. Luckily, they have a chef, like 21-year-old Jenna Gull. Okay, right now we're getting ready for a chicken stir-fry. We're also getting ready for breakfast tomorrow. We're also getting ready for lunch on Saturday. Today's Thursday. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I see. I see a whiteboard up there. Does yeah. that? What? What's on the yeah, whiteboard? So the whiteboard. That's our menu, and it's. We're gonna be looking at every single day ahead. Like today's Thursday. I am looking at Saturday. I'm looking at Sunday today already, and it's just nine in the morning. <laughs> and this is every day. Do you love it? Yeah, you know, it's kind of exciting sometimes, even though it, it can be overwhelming, but it's, the team is so awesome. And when we're all working together and the energy's right, like nothing can compare. Yeah, you know what, one day a week, maybe it's Monday, maybe it's Friday, we start planning the menu for the next week. So I'm gonna erase Thursday today, 
and before we leave, there's going to be a new menu on the board. And it changes, though. It changes all the time. Because if we get, like, a whole bunch of chicken in, then we'll just change it to chicken. And it, yeah, it's exciting, and it's different every single week. See, and that, the fact that you just said you might get a whole bunch of chicken, and then the next three days, you've got to change because you, you're going to do some chicken things. Yeah. That gives me anxiety. <laughs> but you're okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's okay. <laughs> Sandra Carey's office overlooks the dining room on the second floor. Sandra is the executive director of the Friendship Inn and speaks with such compassion and gratitude when discussing the work she and her colleagues are doing. Sandra gave me a wonderful tour of the building and then we were joined by Laura Herman, who is the development and engagement manager for the Friendship Inn. The three of us perched ourselves on the open air hallway overlooking the dining room and I started our conversation by asking Sandra how she describes the breakfast rush at the Friendship Inn. Okay, so we're right in the middle of our breakfast service and this is what we do every single day. Um, I'm standing over the balcony and I'm just watching folks come into our space and either deciding on eating in a dine-in way or with a takeaway meal. So we're watching the lineup come through, folks are seated and our staff and volunteers are serving them their meal at their table and they're enjoying the meal. So that's what we're looking at right now. This is a very, very busy place. Um, Sandra, can you can you describe a little bit like just because like the the layout is so interesting, but it it relates to maybe what the challenges of the last couple of years. Yeah. So what you're looking at now is many pivotings and and reformulations with COVID. We had this is a bit of an innovative dining room for us right now. Um, before COVID, we would have about 120 people in the dining room at any given moment. Um, getting their meal cafeteria style and then seated. But right now, because we've had to do distancing and we've had to do some innovative things, individuals are coming into our dining room. There's about 60 tables here. People are sitting one per table, except for the family tables. And uh, yeah, they're getting their meal from folks that are serving them. So we really like it. It's really, um, there's just something really special about being served your meal. It's very dignifying. Um, it gives everybody a chance to engage. It's a bit safer because if you're coming in by yourself and you don't know who to sit with, you can sit at a table by yourself and that's a comfort piece. If you're coming with someone else and you want to sit together with someone, that's, uh, you know, that's helpful. If you're a family, there's a space for you. You can come in as a family, not worry about where you're going to land when you come into our building. So the dining room as it is, um, we've innovated because of COVID, but we're going to keep these, some of these innovations. So and I, and I know like we, you just gave a, such a lovely tour to me um, and, I, and I find it so interesting that, that you want to keep this and you, and you touched on it a little bit Sandra but is, is there one lesson like you've really learned that your organization's learned in terms of this new layout that, that says to you yeah like this is the right thing to do we got to keep this? I think our, our, our biggest goal is to make sure that there's food security in our community. And so having both a dine-in and takeaway allows for just more access, more ability for people who want to come in and stay and maybe socialize a bit, um, people who don't have the time to necessarily sit in the dining room. So our ultimate goal is food first and food security for people and as many ways and access points as we can make it. Um, we're serving up to a thousand meals a day. So that means on any given breakfast, which is an hour long, we have about 150 dine-in and about 150 takeaway meals. And then we clean up and we do the same thing for lunch. So we have 90 minutes for lunch service and we have about 350 people, three to 350 for lunch dine-in and between four and 600 that'll do a takeaway meal. 
it's yeah. When, when you te- when you tell people a thousand meals a day, like, do people's jaws just hit the floor? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like yeah. It's a volume that most people don't really understand, and it's it's like it's a marvel every day, even to us. We just it's so amazing to see how our kitchen pulls the food resources together to make that happen. I, I do want to ask about your amazing staff in, in the kitchen because I, I find kitchens fascinating. Um, Laura, th- there was something that Sandra mentioned in terms of, of the dignity that comes with, with, with coming and, and, and being served. And, and I think for a lot of people, maybe they don't, that wouldn't even cross their minds. And, but it's, it's such an important thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really, it's a gift that we can offer to people who may not receive something like that otherwise, right? To be able to bring them their meals, serve it to them, look them in the eye, ask how are you today, if that's something that that guest is wanting to engage in, or to just, you know, if it's somebody who maybe doesn't want to have a conversation, to just still look them in the eye and, you know, enjoy your meal and and leave it at that. It's that personal way to convey a little bit of compassion to someone and offer our service to them in that way. I really like the word compassion and, and I'm wondering if, if that's something that's really been on your guys's mind especially these last couple years. Being compassionate is it's right within our mission statement right it's what we do we want to offer our services whatever that may be and do it in a compassionate dignified way it is very important right everybody needs Everybody needs a hug in their day, in their life, right? And, you know, we're not physically hugging our guests, obviously, (laughs) but it's the way that we can demonstrate you're a person, you matter, you are a human, you deserve to be treated with compassion. So, And it's very true. I mean, yes, we serve a thousand meals, but we're actually serving people. Like, primarily, we're serving people. And, and, you know, it's hard for people to understand the circumstances that some of our guests are facing from day to day. Like, what does it really mean when somebody's homeless? Um, what struggles are they facing? And, and it's complex. Like, the reason that people are either hungry in our community or, or struggling with poverty or addictions or mental health issues or intergenerational trauma, and then compounded on top of all of that, it's, you know, we are dealing with folks that are, that, that they're really struggling. And so, and we've had guests tell us, you know, we come here and even looking, like you said, looking them in the eye and smiling, we underestimate the power of that. But some of our guests would say to us, you're the only friendly face I see in a day. Yeah. What goes through your mind when you hear that? That we don't really understand. Even, even when we engage people, that we still have a hard time understanding and relating to how difficult a struggle is for somebody who's who's not, who's vulnerably housed, who has really vulnerable health issues, who's dealing with addictions. We forget that people are, are um, they live in the now. They, they're, they're surviving in the now. And, and we just have to honor that in some ways and appreciate that and, and just meet people where they are. And, and let that be what it is. You know, I think sometimes, I, when I first got here, I thought, oh, and this is just, you know, my very administrative brain working. It's like, well, we need to do this, and then we need to help them. You know, we can, we can help, and we can do this, and this, and this, and this. And there's all these outcomes and all these good things. And then I had to really just stop and go, you know, people are people. And we need to serve them in there now and in their day. And our goal is to actually 
make sure that they're not hungry today. People who are hungry can't make good decisions. They can't, they can't manage their day. If you, uh, who can manage their day when they're hungry? Um, so if we do that part, and we do that really well, then we at least set them up for some, sec some success today. That was, a, that was a really wonderful answer, Sandra. <laughs> that, was really, that was really nice. And you, t you touched on so many things. Laura, what, what goes through your mind when, when, when someone says this is like, this is the, the best place I've, I've been all day. This is the safest I feel all day. It's just the reminder and the reinforcement of why we're doing this, right? Of, of how important it is for those people, right? And, you know, talking a little bit more about the success or setting people up for success, we see kiddos pop in by themselves without an adult, in the morning especially, to grab breakfast before they head out for their day. Hopefully that's headed to school, but maybe it isn't. Um, but to be able to just, you know, look at them and, you know, have a quick little good morning, hello, how are you? Or, you know, just demonstrate that they matter and we see them. Um, that's the important piece, right? That's the motivator. It's really easy to get up and come here every single day and just know that you have, that you're touching people's lives in that really tangible, meaningful way. Do relationships then, do they naturally form between either volunteers or your staff, yourselves, and the people that come here? Yeah, they do. And we do have folks that come, guests that come that are regulars, and we know them. We know them by name. There's lots of people that we don't know. There's, there's no qualifying criteria or registration to come to the Friendship Inn. Anyone who comes through our doors can get a meal. No questions asked. That's just how we've always been. Been like that for 50 years. So... But, that, but, we, but we have the capacity to get to know people. Um, but there's a sea of faces here. So, you know, we, we, we know some, we don't know everybody. Um, and yeah, we, we get to know guests. You, you start to hear voices, you know. We, we know when certain individuals are in the building and, and uh, we watch for them. Like, there are times when we go, okay, this person hasn't been here for a while. We get a little concerned and we can actually connect and maybe do a wellness check or something like that. So. Um, we do watch out for the community. The community watches out for themselves too. Like that's one thing we've learned too is that they're not just random individuals. These people do know each other. They are part of this community as well, and uh, and we become part of commu their community together. So when volunteers and staff and all of our guests come together, yeah, we for sure get to know each other by name. We wear name tags. So I mean, I and that's just a simple thing. So people do know that my name is Sandra. When I go down and I talk to a guest, I, I, instinctively I go, and what's your name? You know, and again, that's a dignifying piece. It's a really powerful piece that sometimes we forget because that's, it's important to actually address people by their first name. Identity is such a big thing. Totally. Yeah. And so if we can offer even that one piece to say that builds community together by saying, what's your name? We want to get to know you a little bit. Some people don't want to be known, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're we're not trying to infringe on their day or bust into their lives if they don't want that. But it's it, there's just a magic to how it happens. It's just it's just it just flows. Yeah. We we ride the wave. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a really hard question, Laura. How how does what, like Cassandra says? There's just a magic that happens. Are, are there any like what goes? How does that magic happen? That's a, I don't know if you can describe it. Maybe it just does. 
the community makes it happen. I mean, we often, we say this is a magical place and we say it very, very regularly because out of the blue, someone will show up with a truckload of turkeys or, you know, a flatbed full of potatoes or whatever it might be. Or they'll call up and say, hey, can we book in to volunteer for the next, you know, seven Saturdays or something, right? Like. It's the community that makes that magic happen. We just facilitate it in a very, very small way. It is, you know, the, the people and the businesses in Saskatoon and actually, you know, outside the city as well who have just wrapped their arms around this place and recognized how important it is, recognized the value of food security, the necessity of it, and said, you know, we'll bring it to the table. We'll help you create that community dining table. This is our way of contributing. So that's the magic. There we go. Um, I, I do want to ask about the food security part in a bit, but I, um, I'm so fascinated by the amount of community like partnerships and the relationships you have with community in order to bring the food here. And I feel very lucky that I, um, you guys give a wonderful tour and I was able to see many rooms full of lots of food um, and it's like it comes from it comes from so many different places. Sandra, can you give listeners sort of a sense in terms of how all that works here? Sure. So because we're serving meals, there's there's lots of different facets to how food resources come into our building. Um, I would say just at a macro level that the community becomes very aware of us when there are big community meals and big holiday meals. So to begin with, if any one of us is hosting a Christmas dinner or Easter meal or a Thanksgiving turkey dinner, many of us will sit around our tables and feel grateful for what we have and then look around and go, well, who doesn't have on this special occasion? And so those are really special meals that the community becomes very mindful of us. And so individuals start to really just pour into our storehouses to make sure that we can offer those meals. Super important. Um, Beyond that, we have a van that we um, send out to like grocery stores, retail, food retailers, wholesalers. There's a whole network of other agencies that support us by donating food products to us, um, food products that maybe are a surplus or are close to their expiration date that need to be used right away that would otherwise be um, not used. Just, uh, they're still good, but they can't move it fast enough. So we get to reclaim some of that and cook into it right away. Um, we just have so many other agencies in, in bigger scales that if there's other food that can come to us, we manage that, whether that's on-site, off-site. Um, we have great partnerships like the food bank. So if, for instance, we're low on um, bread products that day, we give them a call and they're super helpful. They, they work at a totally different scale than we do, but we're, we're great partners because they're there to support us. So there's lots of agencies and individuals and corporations that are helping us sponsoring us, um, donating, volunteering. It's, it's just this wonderful network and web. And, and then the part that really sort of blows my mind is that it's, it's not like the, the food sits here for a long time. Like what, whatever, whatever food you receive, that's what you're going to, yes. to like. And so, you know, we sort of talked about it like a bit like a re reality cooking show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I use the term Chop Canada, yeah. and if you don't watch TV enough to know what Chop Canada is, it's like you get your basket of goods and you have to cook into it and make yeah. something fantastic. That's us on a grand scale. So whatever we receive, we cook into. And 
It's not like we menu plan and then go out and purchase food. We receive food, take a look at it, and then cook into it and use it, use it quickly so that something doesn't either expire or go bad or get wasted. So it, our cooks actually find it really invigorating and exciting because it's, it's, it's challenging and it, it, it requires a creativity. Um, and we get to actually, you know, have our guests have different kind of food experiences as well because we, you know, we get some kind of shipment of something and we'll call, okay, well, let's, let's see what this can make today. And it's, it's, it's just actually invigorating, really. Wow. Yeah. Your, 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 your cooks, yeah, they just must be, it's almost, it's like, what are we going to get today? And then what can we make? Yeah. It's an adventure, right? I mean, it's, um, choose your own adventure sometimes. You just (laughs) never know. But you know, we supplement that too. We publish a wish list on our website and we actually share that out with the community through our social media channels. Uh, on a weekly basis and you know for example if we go through an enormous amount of spices dried spices you can imagine making a meal that tastes good for a thousand people or a thousand meals every single day right you need a little bit of salt and pepper to go with that right (laughs) and those aren't often things that are necessarily donated or through our surplus reclaimed channels right because they're they're staple, they're, they're, they're safe on the shelves, right? So those are some of the things that we actually ask for help with on a regular basis. But we do that through that wish list and the cooks go, I need, you know, some kind of random thingy and we'll, we'll put it up and share it out to the community and magically, they show up at the it back door. Back door, <laughs> right? Like that's part of the magic. I, so. I was just going to say, yeah. magic is a wonderful yeah. theme yeah. for this for this interview. How like is is it a lot of work to develop those community like I was going to say partnerships, but it sounds more like like friendships and working together. Is it a lot of work that goes into to establishing them and and, and nurturing them? I would say yes, but like we've been around in the community for 50 odd years. So those relationships, I mean, are, we stand on the shoulders of those before us who have built a lot of those relationships. And so we get to, we get to continue them. Um, but for sure, but it's a joy. It's like, it's, we get to go and meet all of these, uh, you know, grocers and, and food uh, retailers and, and they actually want to do, it's, it's a good thing. They're excited to do it as well because they get to, they get to take some of their surplus things and share it back to the community as well. So it's a, it helps them too. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a, you know, someone has that as their portfolio on their desk to make sure that we are maintaining the relationships with all of the agencies in the city to make sure that those, the, those food products are coming our way. Or is it, is it fulfilling as an organization when, when, you, when you receive, like, you know, magically those spices appear at the back door, but like even on a larger scale and, and to know that you have so many so many friends in the community like what does that do for an organization i think it just bolsters our entire staff team right when we see something when we see the community respond to a request that we've made no matter how big or how small it reinforces for the whole team that it's not just us and and our you know 30 faces or whatever that we see as a team every day there's actually a larger group of people who cares about the work that we're doing and they respond when we ask and that's hugely it's gratifying right because you know that there's a larger group of people that that see the necessity for what you're doing and they want to help you succeed they want to help you do it in the best way that they can connect 
to your mission. So as long as we just continue to say thank you and you know express our gratitude for all those people who do wrap their arms around us in whatever way that we request, um, like how could you ask for anything more, yeah. right? Like yeah. really, what else could you ask for? You're listening to Season 4, Episode 8 of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson, and we are featuring the Friendship Inn. Follow and listen to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yxeunderground.com, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find YXE Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is where you'll see some wonderful photos taken at the Friendship Inn by Saskatoon photographer Molly Shikoski. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Tracy Block is one of the first people I see serving food in the dining hall. She and her husband live in the neighborhood and for the past 18 months, she has worked at the Friendship Inn. Tracy not only helps with serving people at breakfast and lunch, but also takes great pride in getting to know people and their stories. Very honored to be, yeah, trusted, I guess, with what's going on. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I just honored responsible, I guess. But, you know, again, like part of that is you feel responsibility, but then you just have to kind of let go of that too, because you aren't. And most cases I cannot help. Like I can't, I can point them to resources and stuff and listen, which is sometimes I think huge. Mm -hmm. They just want a friend kind of, but uh, yeah, just, just being there for them. But it's so fun. I just love it. And I'm honored, really. That is the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say, too, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the fact that, like, sometimes sometimes it's it's enough just to listen, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think people just, well, often they do, like, when I've uh, worked at the door and let people in. Like, there's, there's lots of homeless people that access this place, but also lots of lonely people. Like, just seniors that are home alone or whatever, and they just need company and they need community and... So they come here for just conversation and, yeah. It really does take a community to serve a thousand meals a day. And the Friendship Inn could not do it without the support of volunteers, community partners, and private donors. In the final part of our conversation, Sandra Carey and Laura Herman discuss the importance of having long-lasting partners in the community and why it's so vital for the organization to get it right when it comes to helping our most vulnerable. I started by asking Sandra about the important role volunteers play at the Friendship Inn. It takes about a thousand hours every month of volunteer effort to help us do what we do. We rely heavily on volunteers to, they're part of our team, we consider them part of the team. They're not just external to us, they're, they are the Friendship Inn along with us. And so again, throughout the pandemic, we, we because we need them, because we're so reliant on, we, we can't do what we do without volunteers. When the pandemic first started, we actually did have to close our volunteer program and we were serving just takeaway right out the front door because that was crazy time at the beginning of the pandemic. But we had to figure out how to bring volunteers back into the program as quickly as possible in order to serve people. So after three months, we brought volunteers back in. We figured out a way to do it, how to keep everyone safe, how to keep everyone engaged. And it's just been a mark of our success because people want to help. Like we found lots of people really wanted in the midst of a crisis in our community and in the world they still want to find a way to support and contribute and so 
when many other volunteer programs had closed down, we found a way to stay open to actually engage people. Um, so now we still we've still retained a lot of those volunteers. They're still helping. They're still here to support us, and we're just so grateful. I think in terms of recruitment, it kind of manages itself once somebody's been in the building once. We have um, an enormous group of people who are here on a very regular basis, whether for them that's you know a shift every month or maybe even once a week. Um, they're here and they're hooked because there's something really gratifying about being able to contribute and serve in a really tangible way. Um, that said, you know, we'll quite often put out a call on social media saying, hey, our wish list this week is actually for volunteers or more helping hands and more helping hearts to help us serve all of those meals. Um, the business community is very supportive of us as well, particularly around our Christmas campaign when we do our fill the plate campaign during the month of December and we invite people to come in and support us for a day at the end and that can include a volunteer opportunity as well. So we, um, will welcome you know those corporate teams to come in and serve as a team right it's a it's a team building activity for them and they think they're going to do it just once right they sign up and we'll see you in december and then all of a sudden you know february march april my phone starts ringing or my email starts going they're like hey can we maybe like come back and do that again it was really fabulous we'd love to come back for our next team retreat and and it's the same with community members you know, who come in just, you know, a family unit or a group of friends or, you know, neighbors who want to get together and do something together and we offer them that experience and then they seem to trickle back to us. Yeah, so just yeah. just to spin off of that, mm -hmm. the groups, like there's, there's lots of individuals, there's lots of groups that come in as well. And when we were kind of coming out of restrictions through the pandemic, lots of our, our corporate partners or agencies were all working from home in their basements. Mm -hmm. And But yet they could come here and have a volunteer experience. And it was many times that we would see a team, a work team come together who hadn't literally seen each other in person in a long time. And they'd come here and they were just, you know, so excited to see each other and serve because they're not working side by side like they used to. So that was kind of fun. There was a moment in time where it's like, yeah, we're, yeah, we really are the community dining table because these work teams are just so excited to see each other. It was like homecoming. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I, I, I love that story because you're so right with everyone being so isolated, the fact that they could come here and then come here and work together. Yeah. Oh, that must have been so neat to see. Yeah. It, it really was, right? And, and it just goes back to the magic, right? Like that it, we keep saying that word over and over again, but it really truly is the atmosphere of this place where we can lift people up um, and just meet them where they are and and offer them that warm, warm, nutritious meal. Um, you, you both have been very generous with your time. The, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on was, um, it was in regards to food security, because the last couple of years doing the podcast, that topic has come up again and again. And and you you both touched on the importance like of, just how important this is, like, and what we're seeing, what I'm seeing right now. Um, how how big of, of of an issue is food security in in Saskatoon right now? I think food security is a really big issue. It's a big. I wouldn't say issue. It's always an ongoing concern. I think that there are there are agencies that have been doing food security services for a long time, and there's a bit of a continuum too. Like we're 
we're providing meals to the community. The food bank provides hampers to the community. And there's lot, and we're not the only ones. There's lots of other agencies that are providing, you know, different pieces into that, whether it's an evening meal or it's, you know, other um, meal services. We're, we're, we're kind of the bigger agencies, but we're not alone. So I think the, again, the pandemic has really helped put us together and, and we're collaborating more, we're working together. But food security is huge because it's such a daily need. And if people don't have their daily needs met, then our whole community feels it. And so we have to, we're, and we're kind of in the emergency response piece of things. Like we're, we're kind of downstream of, of, of the whole continuum of people that are struggling with um, poverty. So the food part is really, really critical because if, if we, like if you just imagine what we'd be like without food security in our community and you had hungry people that are really struggling with either housing or income, you, you can't progress in your day unless you have a nutritious meal to eat. So it's, it's kind of step one. We, ha we are so important to the community because if we don't get it right, they can't even take different further steps. Like, Food has to be available to the community. And I'm actually pretty proud of being in, in a, a caring community that really gets it. They really see it. They really support us. And, and I don't want to speak on behalf of the food bank, but I know they're doing great work to do what they're doing. And, you know, we're, we're doing our very best to make sure that there's access to food. And to be sure, there's lots of people that are still not able to access food in, in a meaningful way. And we can't see and reach into every single space. But what we do, we're going to continue to do well so that the folks that we serve, at least, uh, are supported. You, you mentioned something about the, the importance of getting it right. Do you feel pressure at all, Sandra? Um, yeah, sure I do. I mean, we're seven days a week. So um, what does happen to a community if we don't get it right? And like I said, we're not the only one. There are other agencies that will support food security. But we, we need to... Our community relies on us. We have to... If we say we're going to do this, we have to sustainably do it. And that's important to the community. So it's not, I wouldn't say pressure, but it's the challenge. It's the challenge we take to make sure that we are open, because hunger happens every single day. Hunger doesn't happen Monday to Friday, it's every single day, right? And so we have to be here and open to the community in order to, to have that welcoming place. And again, I'm really proud of the fact that we didn't miss one meal in the whole pandemic. Not, not one. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 And, and like Christmas Day, New Year's, all yeah. the all the holidays, yeah. and with all the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And even through the pandemic, we were we stayed open. We remained open. We were here for the community. It's 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 that important to us because there needs to be a safe place for people to come and find a warm meal. Period. Final question for you both. What? Why? Why do you love this job so much? It, it's a direct line of sight into doing something meaningful and tangible every single day. There's nothing to not love about this place and being able to impact people's lives in a really fundamental way. Like, you weren't hungry today, or you were, you know, we were able to serve you today because this place exists, right? Like, there's really... Like, that's really all there is to it, right? I mean, our dining room is full right now, and these people have a moment of comfort in their life, right? Our guests have a moment of comfort in their life, 
And that's important, right? Because we might be the only place that offers them that, that compassion and dignity today and a warm meal to go with it, right? So like that's the nutshell, that's the essence of it. It's a direct line of sight that you have helped someone. Oh, why do I love my job? I do. I love my job and there's lots of times I skip around and I go to all the team members and I just, I do, I really like what I do. But I want to also add that it's not easy. And Sorry. It's, there are just days when you, when you touch humanity and you are dealing with people who are struggling so deeply. And you just, it's just hard. It's hard to watch people struggling in poverty. So as much as we think, and we're using the language that there's lots of magic happening and there's great team and there's great community, there's also people with real challenges and real struggles. And I think that's what keeps me motivated is because we know we make a difference in their lives today. Sometimes it's hard because I wish I could make more of a difference. That's the challenging part. It's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. Yeah. It's, it's hard emotional work, too. Like, there's, there's a certain amount of, you know, I get to go home to my bed at night knowing that people are sleeping on the street. That's our every day, you know? And it's, it's just hard some days to really live in that reality. I'm wondering then, Sandra, and, and thank you for sharing that, um, the, the fact that you have, you have a, a wonderful team with you, does that, does that help when, on, on those hard days? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, on those hard days, when you're kind of dealing with all the others, like when you're dealing with all kinds of stuff on your desk that you might not be able to control and whatever, there's, there's always challenges to leading an organization and, and dealing with certain pieces. But... You know, those are the days when I just want to put my running shoes on and go down to the floor and serve a meal. That's, that's what uh, makes me excited about coming to work is because sometimes we lose sight of that we're dealing with people. We're, we're serving people and yeah, it's just important to, it's important to me to actually do that, to serve somebody. Um. My, uh, my boss at Sherbrooke, her name is Sue Ellen, um, she talks about servant leadership um, a lot. And, and I, I had never heard that term before working at Sherbrooke. And I, and I, I, I really love it. I think there's, yeah, there's, there's purpose behind it. And, and, but I think there's a great humility behind it as well. And it's, it's, it's very clear from spending just like an hour with both of you that like, like how much you care and how much your organization cares. Um, it's it's been it's been such a privilege speaking with you both. Like you're you're doing you're doing amazing work, and um, yeah, I I'm, I feel very lucky to have spent a bit of time with you this morning. So thank you. Well, thanks for showing interest and coming and seeing us in our space and and sharing it with the rest of the community. I think I just love the the whole um, podcast capacity, right? Like we get to tell our story and you get to experience it and. And I just appreciate your willingness to come and, and share the story farther and wider. I, I've learned so much from both of you today. It's, it's, it's been wonderful. Laura, thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. It's our privilege to be part of your storytelling and help build this community up to be a kinder, more compassionate place. So we appreciate you being here.
You have been listening to Episode 8, Season 4 of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. My thanks to Sandra Carey, Laura Herman, Tracy Block, Jenna Gall, and the entire Friendship In team for welcoming me with open arms. And you can learn more about the organization by visiting friendshipin.ca. You can see pictures from this episode by searching YXE Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And a big thank you to my friend Molly Shikoski for taking such wonderful photos. I also want to thank Saskatoon's Danger Dynamite for taking care of the YXE Underground website. And to my cousin Andrew Dixon for creating the theme music for the podcast. This episode was supported by Rob Romvi and his team at Romvi Wealth Management Group of RBC Dominion Securities in North Battleford. If you need someone to care for and invest your money, there is no better group of people than Rob Romvi and his team. Rob, thank you so much for your continued support. I really do appreciate it. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that these interviews were gathered on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.